Father, we do thank you for your faithfulness to us, God, that you've been uh, such a, a faithful God through, through the, not just through our lives, Lord, but really through generation upon generation. And so we trust you today, Lord, and we ask your blessing on those offerings that would come in today. We ask that you would continue to provide all that is needed, Lord, for your people, for your work here, for the church, for the ministries and missions that we support, Lord, that you would continue to bless. And God, we also want to ask that you would speak to us today out of your word. We come to your word, God, today with a great reverence, a great hunger and thirst and need. Oh God, we need you to speak to our hearts, how we need to hear from heaven. Open our ears, God, and let, let your word just speak clearly and boldly into our heart, into our life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them up with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 38. Jeremiah, chapter 38. <clears throat> we began last week looking at three chapters that really describe the fall of a nation. The fall of a nation. Jerusalem is under siege and really, this, these, these events, the last king and some of the last opportunities uh, and the last prophecies that Jeremiah was able to give to this kingdom, they come through chapters 37 through 39. And we looked last week at 37 today. My hope is to look at chapters 38 and 39. And so the whole section really describes the fall of the nation. But today we'll be looking at these two chapters. And I've entitled this today's message, what will you do in the end? What will you do in the end? It was earlier in Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 31 that Jeremiah spoke to the nation. And he said, the prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule by their own power and my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? False prophecies, False rulership, a nation that has turned their back on God, falling away from the Lord. They imagine that things will go on forever, and they, uh, forever this way. They imagine that they can ne neglect God, remove Him from their culture, remove, remove Him from their society, and that somehow they can continue to just rule and do as they please. But God has been warning, and He asks this simple question, what will you do in the end? Things will not go on forever this way. This will not perpetuate. What will you do when God finally calls you to account? You know, we're going to have to make some choices as to how we're going to live our lives today as well. As a culture, as a nation, we continue in a moral decline. We continue to move away from God. We continue to move towards becoming a secular, humanistic society. And each of us is going to be faced with decisions about how we're going to live out our faith and God's calling upon our lives in this time. Many have rejected God's Word. They're convinced that God's Word is irrelevant, has no basis on today's society. Some are seeking to adapt and find a place of compromise so as not to offend, looking for some middle of the road some are so distracted with their own pursuits, they don't even have time to notice. And some simply do not care. They're numb, they're apathetic, they just are not interested. And yet there are some, some that are burdened with what they see. And they have a sense of calling to be a light in this time of darkness. They believe the Word of God. And they know that a day of judgment and accountability ultimately will come and that God wants to save and to heal and to forgive and to rescue. And they're strong in their faith and bold in their witness. You're going to have to make some choices about your own faith and how you're going to live. And the question we all need to be asking is, what will we do in the end? What will the end look like for us? Will it be a day of judgment or will it be a day of salvation? We're going to take a look today at these two chapters, and my hope is that you'll be able to, to draw some lessons for your life as well. Let's begin here in chapter 38, verses 1 through 6. The first thing we'll look at is when life is the pits. 
When life is the pits, anybody experience that? Jeremiah did. Verse 30, uh, chapter 38 and verse 1. I'm not going to read all these names. There's four names in the, in the, mentioned here. The gang of four. Well, I will, I will mention them. Shapatiah, Gedaliah, Jukal, and Pashur. These are the ones that hate Jeremiah's words. These are the ones that are looking for Jeremiah to be politically correct. Well, we pick it up in the latter part of verse 1. They heard the word that Jeremiah had spoken to all the people, saying, now here's what Jeremiah has been saying. Thus says the Lord, He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes over to the Chaldeans shall live. His life shall be as a prize to him, and he shall live. Thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army who shall take it. Therefore the princes said to the king, please let this man be put to death. They do not like this message that Jeremiah is preaching at all. For thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in this city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek the welfare of this people, but their harm. Then Zedekiah the king said, Look, he's in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison, and they let Jeremiah down with ropes. And in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sank into the mire. Jeremiah has continued to preach this message that... You need to surrender. God has sent this army as a judgment, as a discipline upon us. There is no use in fighting and resisting. God is, is calling you to yield and surrender. And if you will surrender and yield yourself to this discipline, your life will be spared and God will turn and bless. But if you refuse and if you resist and continue and persist in your own way, you're going to suffer the consequences. Well, that is not a politically correct message in Jeremiah's day. And these princes come to the king and they say, you know what, this guy is, it's almost like treason. He's speaking against the, the, the armies of God. We're out here fighting and this guy's discouraging us. This guy needs to be put to death. And King Zedekiah, who's really just uh, kind of a weak king and more concerned about his political image and has a greater fear of men than he does of God, says, well, Whatever you want to do, I, I just can't fight you on this anymore. And so they take Jeremiah, and they don't kill him, but they put him down in this cistern. They lower him down, and in the bottom, there's just nothing but mire mud. And they just put him down there, and they leave him, and they forget him to die. And so Jeremiah is down in this pit. He is down, sunk into the mire, down into the mud. He has no way to uh, get out. He has really no hope at all. His life is truly in the pit. You know, it's almost kind of unsettling that we see God would allow such a godly prophet to, to experience this life in the pit. I mean, Jeremiah was a good prophet. He had obeyed God. God had promised him when he first sent him into ministry back in Jeremiah 1.8, he said, don't be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Jeremiah, don't worry. I'm going to be with you every step of the way as you serve me in your ministry. And now he's, I don't know how high, maybe waist high down in the mud. And Lord, where's the deliverance? Where's the you're going to be with me part? And you have to wonder what he, his own heart must have been going through. And you don't have to wonder too much because truthfully, our own hearts struggle sometimes with those pits of life, don't we? We find ourselves down in the mud and we wonder, God, how is it that you could allow this? How is it that this could be happening to me? Well, Jeremiah is called to bring a message to a people at a difficult time. Jeremiah is called to be a messenger unto God for God and his word. And the Lord will allow us at times to go through difficult seasons and yet we're going to see he will deliver Jeremiah. He is with him. And of course, he will deliver him. But you must understand that if you're going to carry a message, a message that is not 
going to be popular or necessarily well-received in your day, in your culture. This is Jeremiah's situation. He's bringing a message of truth, but it's not the message anyone wants to hear. And if you're going to be a carrier of that message, if you're going to be light in a time of darkness, then you have to understand there are going to be seasons when persecution is going to rise up and resist you. And life is going to bring trial and challenge. And the very enemies of God are going to be working against you and stirring trouble to try and thwart God's purpose in and through your life. This is where Jeremiah is, and God is allowing it. God is not defeated. Jeremiah is not uh, defeated. God is going to bring victory, but God is also going to allow Jeremiah this trial so as to continue to produce his glory through the life of Jeremiah. The message is rejected. And listen, the, the message of God has always been rejected, and it's going to continue to be rejected. Jesus, when he was speaking, to, the, to his time, he said, in encouraging his disciples, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus, no doubt referencing Jeremiah himself. Listen, they persecuted the prophets before you. They're going to persecute you as well. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when your life becomes such a testimony of the gospel. Blessed are you, notice what he says, when they revile and persecute you and say all these things for my sake. Because you bring Christ, because you bring the light and the truth of Jesus into your home, into your workplace, into your generation, blessed are you when they resist that. Because what that means is that something of Jesus Christ is shining through you. There's another passage where Jesus would say, Beware when all men speak well of you. Beware, be careful when, when you fit in so nicely, when you're so you know, non-controversial that everybody just is willing to embrace you. But rather, you should rejoice when the light of Christ, shining through your life, is stirring up hearts because they're sensing that, you know, the Word and the truth of God is coming against their life. One commentary points this out. News of divine judgment is always bad news. It is unpleasant to hear that God punishes sin rather than overlooks it. But the only thing that really matters is whether or not the bad news of divine judgment is true. When the bad news is God's news, it needs to be heard. And so it must be preached. God's Word must be declared to all generations. And we have our generation to which this Word of God, this Word of reconciliation must be declared. Jesus would say, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Jesus saying, listen, they're persecuting me and they're going to persecute you. But there are some who are keeping my word. And so it will be true for you as you declare my truth. There will be some that will keep it also. That's why the message has to be preached. The message has to be preached because some are going to hear it and turn and be saved. That's how you got saved, if you are saved. If you're here today and you know Jesus, it's because someone shared the message with you. Someone took a chance. Someone was bold enough to declare a truth to you. And you believed it, and it changed your life forever. The Word must go out. How, can, how, can, how then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? The Apostle Paul in Romans 10 asks these questions. How how are people going to be saved? They have to hear the message of the gospel. And so Jeremiah is bringing his message, faith, God's message, faithfully to his generation. It doesn't go well for him. It actually produces difficulty in his life. But we see that even in this place of a pit, God is going to be able to be faithful to him. And, And no doubt, 
that during this time of trial, Jeremiah's own spiritual life is being strengthened and refined. We don't like to think about that, but the truth is there are some things that God wants to do in your life that can only be worked in the pit, can only be really learned and matured and perfected through a season, a time of testing and trial, possibly even persecution. God will allow it because, first of all, the message must go out. Second of all, messengers need to be refined. Paul complained. He had a thorn in his side, you remember, and he prayed, God, get rid of this difficulty. And Jesus answered him and said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I I, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you want to be strong in the Lord? You're going to have to learn uh, something about weakness. Do you want the glory of God to really begin to shine through your life? You're going to have to learn how to decrease in order that He might increase. And it doesn't come by just kind of wishing it so. I wish that were true. It comes through God taking our lives through circumstance, through trial, allowing tension, allowing persecution. All the while, God is with you. And God is with you to deliver you. And God is with you to keep you. Paul, not understanding this this burden in his own life, crying out to the Lord. Three times he said, I asked. But the Lord finally said, listen, I have this going on in your life because I'm trying to, to perfect my strength through your weakness. You see, as long as we're strong, God's strength is actually limited. It's as we yield to Him and turn our lives completely over to Him that His strength grows and matures in our life. You think about that. You know, you think about some of the great stories in the Bible, David and Goliath. Why is that so great a story? Because out of weakness, God showed His strength, right? Gideon, right, with just a handful of men, defeated the whole army of the Midianites. Why is that such a great story? Because out of weakness... God demonstrates strength. Jeremiah, one lone voice against a king, his princes, and a whole nation. And and, and he's now persecuted, but God is going to demonstrate his strength even through this one man's weakness. God is working in the messenger. God is working in our life too. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4.17 Romans 8.18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. When life is the pits, it may be that God is doing something miraculous and wonderful in your life. Rejoice, Jesus said, when these things come to you for my name's sake. Let's read on. And we find here in verses 7 through 13 that God stirs up an intercessor. God stirs up an intercessor. Moreover, he put out... Oops, chapter 38, sorry. Now, Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon. When the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin. Ebed-Melech went out of the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon, and he is likely to die from hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. And then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, saying, Take from here thirty men with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took from there old clothes and old rags and let them down by ropes into the dungeon to Jeremiah. 
And then Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, said to Jeremiah, Please put these old clothes and rags under your armpits, under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. And so they pulled Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. God stirs up an intercessor. Remember, God had said, I am with you to deliver you. This man by the name of Ebed-Melech, he is an alien there in the nation, an Ethiopian, a eunuch, just a servant in the king's house, really in his, in his day, in his society, a, a nobody, just a servant there in the house of the king. But in the, in the hand of God and in the mind of God, he is a somebody. He is somebody that God is beginning to stir his heart. And it speaks to us, you know, God can use anyone. It's not about your place. It's not about your station. It's not about your race. It's not about your background, uh, your shortcomings. It's about the God who stirs the heart and calls. God is able to use and raise up anyone that is available to Him. We notice something about Ebed-Melech. First of all, he, he heard that Jeremiah had been put in the dungeon. He's there in the, king, in the king's palace, so he's at least privy to what's going on. No doubt he had heard Jeremiah's prophecies over the years. No doubt he had learned actually to even uh, appreciate Jeremiah's words. Jeremiah, God's word had somehow touched this man's heart through the prophet Jeremiah. And when now this pro- when he hears that this prophet has been thrown into the dungeon, he knows that he's going to die there and something in his heart rises up. Something in his heart is stirred. He allowed his heart to take up Jeremiah's cause. I believe it was the Spirit of God that would stir him. He heard of this injustice and he he rose up. Not only did he hear it, his heart was stirred by it, but it says in verse 8 that he went. He left his station, he left the king's house, and he went out to take action to speak to the king. This was a bold statement indeed. And he may have done it at the risk of his own life. You didn't just, you know, as a, as a servant in the palace, you didn't just stop working to go out and talk to the king out in public in, the, in one of the gates where he's stationed to judge and, you know, do his kingly business. Oh, by the way, king, I need a word with you. But he has this bold step. He not only heard, he went. And he took a, he took a step of faith. And he spoke to the king. He interceded. He took up Jeremiah's cause at the risk of his own, and he spoke to this king because he had already in his own heart embraced this prophet. Jesus said in Matthew 10.41, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. This this. Ebed-Melech is really responding to the word of God that has come through the prophet. And now his heart is being stirred to intercede for the prophet. And this is often the way the Lord works. The Lord begins to stir the heart. The Lord begins to impart some burden, something that, that is not really naturally of your own concern. But somehow God begins to, to stir it in your heart. And as you give place to it, as you, as you yield your heart to that, as you begin to pray and wait on the Lord, it, it grows, and it grows to almost a passion. And this is what's going on. This, this man is just there, and he begins to feel the injustice. And his heart begins to stir in such a way that he's ready to take a bold step of faith and bring action to his burden. And this is the way the Lord works in all lives and stirs up intercessors. You know, all of us are called to be intercessors to take up the concern of others. We are not simply to live for ourselves. The Bible says don't live merely for your own interests, but consider even the interests of others more important than your own. The Christian is called to a life of intercession, a life of being concerned of the needs of others, not just my own. And Jesus, of course, the greatest intercessor, the greatest example. The Bible says that who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, 
even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ, existing as God, became a man. Why? To intercede. He took up the cause of man. He took up the despair of men. He took up the the life without hope. We were lost. We were without hope. We were beyond delivering. But we had an intercessor. Someone was stirred. The heart of God in the form of Jesus Christ came and humbled himself and became a man that he might redeem men and died and gave his life on a cross. It is the ultimate expression of the intercessor. And so Jeremiah is being is going to be ministered to by this man that's been stirred up with intercession. And let me just tell you that we need intercessors today as well. We need missionaries. We need those that are burdened for those that are not having opportunity to hear the gospel in foreign lands. We need those that are burdened for youth in our culture. We need those that are burdened for the children that come into our church doors on a regular basis. We need those that are stirred to pray. We need those that are stirred to give, to serve, to help, to invite, to share, to live for Christ. Those that are stirred by a spirit of intercession to where it becomes a passion, to where my life and my personal uh, well-being is secondary to what God has put on my heart to do and to minister And it's for the sake of others. It's for the sake of His kingdom. It's for the sake of saving. And so God stirs this man. What are you interceding for today? Are there any needs around you that you are impassioned by God to be concerned about? Anything going on in your heart? Anyone of concern? Any people? Any generation? Any place? What's going on in your heart? Let me tell you, God is an intercessor. God is concerned. And as you draw closer to Him, his, what's on His heart and what's on His mind are inevitably going to come upon yours. And you can either resist those and kind of put them aside because they're not convenient for you, or you can allow your heart to actually begin to be stirred and to be burdened and to, and to allow the Lord to direct you in the way that He has for you. I want to move on and I want to talk about the folly of fear. Verses 14 through 28, we see King Zedekiah and we notice the folly of a man who lives in fear. 14 to 28, then Zedekiah the king sent and had Jeremiah the prophet brought to him at the third entrance of the house of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you something, hide nothing from me. So Jeremiah is out of the pit now. So now the king wants to have a little meeting with him. Verse 15, Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, If I declare it to you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you advice, you will not listen to me. So Zedekiah the king swore secretly to Jeremiah, saying, As the Lord lives, who made our very souls, I will not put you to death, nor will I give you into the hand of these men who seek your life. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, If you surely surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then your soul shall live. This city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then this city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans. They shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their land, from their hand. And Zedekiah the king said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Jews who have defected to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hand and they abuse me. But Jeremiah said, They shall not deliver you. Please obey the voice of the Lord which I speak to you. So it shall be well with you, and your soul shall live. But if you refuse to surrender, this is the word that the Lord has shown me. Now behold, All the women who are left in the king of Judah's house shall be surrendered to the king of Babylon's princes. And these women shall say, Your close friends have set upon you and prevailed against you. Your feet have sunk into the mire and they have turned away again. So they shall surrender all your wives and children to the Chaldeans. You shall not escape from their hand, but shall be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon and you shall cause this city to be burned with fire. Then Zedekiah said, Let no one know of these words. But if the princes hear that I have talked with you, 
And they come to you and say to you, declare to us now what you have said to the king and also what the king said to you. Do not hide it from us and we will not put you to death. Then you shall say to them, I presented my request before the king that he, should, that he would not make me return to Jonathan's house to die there. Then all the princes came to Jeremiah and asked him and he told them according to all these words that the king had commanded. So they stopped speaking with him for the conversation had not been heard. Now Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison until the day that Jerusalem was taken, and he was there when Jerusalem was taken. Zedekiah calls for a secret meeting with Jeremiah. Jeremiah, of course, faithfully gives him the word of the Lord. Zedekiah is too afraid to obey, too fearful to receive it. And he says, let's just keep this secret between us. If these people come and interrogate you, you just tell them that we were talking about you, you know, being delivered out of the, the prison. And that, of course, was also true. Not the whole truth, but you don't need to tell them everything. And so Jeremiah obeys the king, and he is now out of the dungeon, out of the pit, and the people have left him alone. But we see here this King Zedekiah. We see a man who is completely consumed with fear and not faith. He's more concerned about his reputation than he is about obeying God. A lack of faith in God and His Word. We saw already he was unable to stand up for Jeremiah back in verse 5. Oh, well, he's in your hand. There's nothing that I can do. But still he brings Jeremiah into this secret meeting. You know, it's like he knows Jeremiah has God's Word. He's seen Jeremiah's prophecies come to pass. I mean, he knows kind of down in his heart that Jeremiah really is a true prophet. And he's, but he's just hoping that maybe God will change his mind. Let me just one more time. Now, Jeremiah, just, just are you sure? Tell me everything. And Jeremiah says, listen, if I tell you, it's not, you know, no, just, but just tell me. He wants to hear it. He's hoping that somehow God will accommodate his plan. He knows that God's word can be found in this prophet, but his heart is too set on his own way. He's too afraid of his own fears to obey the voice of God. He heard the truth, but he could not obey it. You see Jeremiah, verse 20, Please obey the voice of the Lord, so it shall be well with you, that your soul would live. Jeremiah pleading with him, Listen, if, if you don't surrender, you're going to die. Do what God has asked. But he could not put his faith in God's word when it went against his own desires, his own fears. In verse 19, he says, I'm afraid. When fear motivates instead of faith, it doesn't bring about obedience to the Word of God. Many struggle today with fear. And I would ask you this morning, what, what is motivating your heart? What is motivating your decisions? Is it fear? Here are, here are things that I, I typically pray with people about these fears. Fear of what others think, peer pressure. So afraid of what others might think of you that it actually controls your ability to obey and walk with the Lord. We've had individuals even refuse to come to the Lord, even though they believed it, but they didn't want to come because of the fear of losing friends or relationships. Some are afraid of being alone. It causes them to pursue relationships outside of the Lord's counsel and will. They would rather disobey God than be alone. They're so afraid that God somehow won't be enough. Many are afraid of getting spiritual help when they are in bondage because of the embarrassment, the shame, or the potential consequences. They would rather just keep it under the carpet. They would rather not confess or get their hearts right for the fear of consequence. Some of you here today, you know what you're doing is wrong, but you're afraid to do the right thing. You're afraid to completely trust Him and obey Him. And God's counsel for those in that place, you must do the right thing. You must obey the Lord. You must surrender your heart to Him and live. And trust God to bring healing. Trust God to bring help and mercy. Some have a fear of obedience. They just, they're afraid to trust God and obey Him. They're afraid of losing control of their own life and plans. 
They're afraid that God's plan won't be, you know, what they, what they want and desire. And they just simply don't truly trust the Lord. They want His blessing. They want His help. But only so long as it fits their own plan and their own way. And if it doesn't, they just hope that somehow, like Zedekiah, God will change His mind. If I just keep asking and if I just keep persisting, God will give me what I want. But Jeremiah pleads with him. Jeremiah calls, tries to call the king to faith, not fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Psalm 56 verse 3, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise His word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? There comes a time when we have to make a decision not to be afraid, but to trust the Lord and to take a step of faith. This would be Zedekiah's last opportunity. This would be his last meeting with the prophet Jeremiah. This would be God's last word of of trying to reconcile him. And you hear it. You can hear the Lord pleading through Jeremiah, please obey. God will turn this around. God can still work. God can still bring something good out of this mess. God is still able. I know you've kind of, no, but I'm afraid of this. And yeah, if I do that, this will happen. And I know in your own mind, and your own thinking, you've thought out every scenario and you just can't bring yourself to trust the Lord. Please obey God. Please trust Him. And let Him guide your steps. Let Him bring about that which He and only He can bring. If you continue to trust and persist in your own way, you're going to reap what disobedience and sin ultimately reap. And that we must move on. The next chapter here we see that a day of judgment ultimately comes. A day of judgment ultimately comes in verse 39, in the ninth year, chapter 39, excuse me, verse 1. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, And all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, the city was penetrated. Then all the princes of the king of Babylon came in. It lists their names. I won't read it. Verse 4, so it was. When Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and all the men of war saw them, that they fled and went away out of the city by night. Zedekiah now trying to escape. By way of the king's garden, by the gate between the two walls. And he went out by the way of the plain. But the Chaldean army pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had captured him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Riblah in the land of Hamath, where he pronounced judgment on him. Then the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes in Riblah. The king of Babylon also killed all the nobles of Judah. Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with bronze fetters to carry him off to Babylon. And the Chaldeans burned the king's house and the houses of the people with fire and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carried away captive to Babylon the remnant of the people who remained in the city and those who defected to him with the rest of the people who remained. But Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, left in the land of Judah the poor people who had nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. Zedekiah, his worst fear has come upon him, the day of judgment. The consequences of disobedience, the consequences of rejecting the word of God. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We see the bitterness of sin and its judgment. Zedekiah tried tried to hightail it out the back door. He tried to escape. Tried to save himself, rather than trusting and obeying the word of God. The prophets prophesy falsely. 
The priests rule by their own power, and my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? Zedekiah found his end. There's a prophecy in Ezekiel that says, Zedekiah, you will be captured and taken to Babylon, but you will not see Babylon. Now we understand what that prophecy meant. His eyes were, the last thing that he saw was his sons being killed, his nobles and princes being killed, and then his eyes were put out and he was taken to Babylon. But he never saw Babylon because his eyes were gone. Again, I quote from a commentary like Zedekiah. Many people hope to escape the day of judgment. They doubt the personal return of Jesus Christ to judge the world. They hope that the wrath of God has been exaggerated. They deny the existence of hell. They think they are good enough to get to heaven. They expect to have time to slip out the garden door and run for dear life. It could have been a happy ending for Zedekiah. God gave him opportunity right up to the end, but he refused. God's word that did come to pass. Jeremiah had been preaching and prophesying this for years, and it came to pass. They didn't believe it. They rejected it. They scoffed at it. But God, God's word will come to pass. We must hold that in our heart today as well. For we live in a time when God's word is scoffed. The idea of a, of a, a literal, real hell is, oh, that's just fairy tale. Jesus Christ is returning. Oh, I've been hearing that for a long time. There's a day of tribulation and trouble coming upon the earth. Oh, yeah, yeah, you doom and gloomers. We've heard all that before. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. Know this, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. All of these things that we declare, that the Word of God declares, becoming less and less believed, but that does not, does not change the truth of it. The question really is not, is this day coming? The question is, am I ready? Are you ready to be with the Lord? Are you ready to meet the Lord? Some are going to be judged and lost, but some are going to be saved. I'm going to close here, the last few verses. It was a day of judgment for Zedekiah and many there in Jerusalem. But for Jeremiah and Ebed-Melech, it was a day of salvation. Nebuchadnezzar, verse 11, king of Babylon, gave charge concerning Jeremiah to Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, saying, Take him and look after him and do him no harm, but do to him just as he says to you. So Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, sent Nebuchadnezzar, these guys, I won't read them, verse 14, and then they sent someone to take Jeremiah from the court of the prison and committed him to Gedaliah, uh, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, that he should take him home. So he dwelt among the people. Meanwhile, the word of the Lord had come to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Go and speak to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring my words upon this city for adversity and not for good. And they shall be performed in that day before you. But I will deliver you in that day, says the Lord. And you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid. For I will surely deliver you, and you shall not fall by the sword. But your life shall be as a prize to you, because you have put your trust in me, says the Lord. Here, just this simple servant of the king's house receives the promise of salvation because he put his trust in the Lord. There is a day of salvation for those who believe in God, for those who have put their trust in His faithfulness and His Word. God knows, He sees, and He will not forget those who put their trust in Him. For whoever desires to save his life, Jesus said, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jeremiah is going to be saved. His ministry had had reached even Nebuchadnezzar. We don't know how Nebuchadnezzar heard of this Jeremiah, possibly through some of the, uh, the captives who had already been captured. 
possibly through Daniel, who had been captive and taken back to Babylon before this event. Somehow, this king of Babylon had heard that there was a prophet in Jerusalem who was declaring the truth about God and was declaring and telling this nation to surrender. And this reputation, God used it to actually bless Jeremiah during this time of judgment. It becomes a day of salvation to Jeremiah and a word to Ebed-Melech. You know, it reminds me of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, whosoever, Ebed-Melech, this, this Ethiopian, just a servant in the king's house, that whosoever should be, would believe on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And this is what's come to Ebed-Melech. Notice what he says there, and I'm closing Verse 18, he says, I'm going to save you because you have put your trust in me, says the Lord. Not because of your kind deed to Jeremiah, not because of your interceding, but because you believed my word. That's why you went to intercede for Jeremiah. That's what motivated you, because you believed the word of God. It's about faith in his word, faith in his promise. As we, for whosoever believes, you're not going to perish, but you're going to have everlasting life. God is able to save to the uttermost those who would put their trust in Him for salvation. Let's close this morning in prayer, and then we'll take partake of communion. Father, we want to thank You today for the blessing of Your Word This is something of the climax of the entire book, Lord, really. All of Jeremiah has been predicting this event, and now the day has come. And it, it reveals very clearly the difference between those who, through fear and their own folly and foolishness, have rejected your word, and those who have trusted and believed in your word. And Lord, that, is, that remains a dividing line in our lives as well, in our generation. Those who believe upon Jesus Christ are saved. Their sins are forgiven. They shall not perish, but they're going to have everlasting life. But those who reject, for whatever reasons, fear, selfishness, pride, those that reject the word of the Lord, God... They, what, what will they do in the end? What will they do in the end? The end is coming. The end is coming upon the earth. We don't know when that is. We're not predicting that. We see signs in our day. We see prophecies looming. We see that God is getting close to bringing these things to pass. But we know this, that it's appointed to every man once to die. The end will ultimately come for all of us. And we don't know when that end comes. It could be today. It could be tonight. What will you do in the end? For those of us that know the Lord, I want to encourage you to keep the end in mind. Not in fear, not like some looming horror, but rather a day of rejoicing. A day when your salvation will, will come in fullness. And that it would affect the way that you live today. That you would live with that end in mind. It's a good end. It's a day of deliverance. It's a day of salvation. As we sang, I, I see a light that's coming for the heart that holds on. And so until that day comes, live for Him. Live for Him knowing that that end is near. And for those of you that do not know Him today, we're going to take communion here in just a moment. I'm going to ask my ushers to come forward. But I do want to pray for those of you that are here just before we take communion. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord as a personal Savior, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, He has interceded for you. He has come to save. He has come and died upon a cross for your sins. And God has raised Him from the dead that you might put your faith and trust in Him for forgiveness and for eternal life. What will you do in the end? Don't let fear, don't let guilt, shame, 
Don't let stubborn pride, don't let these things stand in the way. I I would say to you, as Jeremiah said to the king, please, please obey the Lord and live. Please put your faith in Jesus Christ and let Him cleanse you and let Him wash your life anew. That's what communion is about. It's the celebration of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so I want to pray for those of you here today, before we take the communion, if you're here today and you need to respond to the Lord, I want to pray. If you're here today and you need to come to the Lord for the first time, or maybe you need to come and rededicate your life to the Lord, recommit your heart completely to Him. You've been living waywardly, apart from God. Maybe fear, maybe uh, pride, maybe just distraction. Something has caused you to drift away from Him, but He spoke to your heart today and you know that you need to come home. I want to pray for you as well. So if you're here today and you need to come to the Lord for the first time or you need to rededicate your life to Him, would you raise your hand where you're seated and I'll pray for you just before we take communion. Bless you, sir, over here on my right. Ma'am on my left. Sir, there in the center. Several of you here on the center right section. Any others? You need prayer before we take communion together. Bless you, sir. Bless you, ma'am, as well. Any others? This is, a, this is the Lord's table. An invitation to come and receive forgiveness. To come and receive eternal life. If you're here today, oh, like Jeremiah said, please come. Come to the table of the Lord. Obey the Lord. What is, how do I obey the Lord? Believe on Jesus. There's nothing you have to do. Nothing you have to work at. Just faith. Believe. He told Ebed-Melech, I'm saving you. Because you believed my word, you put your trust in me. Anyone else, just before I pray, you need to put your trust in the Lord. Father, we thank you for those hearts that have responded. Lord, we believe that you are faithful, that you see the hearts. We believe, God, that you are here to save. You are here because you love us. You are here in spirit because... You want to draw us and speak to us. And so I pray, Lord, for those hands that have raised that you would meet them today. Lord, we would say on their behalf, forgive us of our sins. We acknowledge, Lord, that we are all sinners. And we acknowledge that Jesus Christ alone can save and cleanse from sin because of what you did at Calvary. What we're going to celebrate here today, this, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus brings me salvation. Lord, I'm putting my trust and my faith in You. I'm asking You to forgive me. I'm asking You to cleanse me. I'm asking Your Holy Spirit to to begin something new and fresh in my life. That I would live for You in this day, in this generation, Lord. That I would become a light. Oh God, hear our hearts. Touch us. Change us for Your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.